0: Well, this is Church Governments Lesson 5. We are calling this The Office of Pastor, Part 2 Old Testament Pastors. And one of the things we want to look at here in our studies on church government, we've been looking at the nature of authority, how it flows like a river from the throne of God to the Lord Jesus Christ to the Holy Spirit, delegated to church leaders and then down to people in help's ministry, as deacons, as elders, as bishops. And in, in our study of governments, we have to keep in mind the common thread of authority. If you are not authorized to do something, it could be you are illegal. If you're not authorized to take something, it's called stealing. If you're not authorized to say something, it's called speaking out of term. Uh, if you're not authorized to give something, then you're like Robin Hood, who was a criminal, steal from the rich, give to the poor. Uh, You have to be authorized in everything you do. The kingdom of God operates on authority, the principles of authorization. And so the common thread we are looking at as we teach church governments is authority. We spent some time looking at uh, New Testament offices, beginning with the fivefold ministry gifts. That includes the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Moving on then to bishops, elders, deacons, and helps ministry. And we saw how authority flows down, it doesn't flow up. The third lesson we looked at was on church governments, the four types of church governments. One of them is Episcopalian, which has nothing necessarily to do with the Episcopal Church, but the term Episcopalian just means run by bishops. We looked at Presbyterian or Presbyteros type government. That means it's run by a board of elders. You have Congregational Church governments, which means it's run by the congregation. And then you have Executive Church government, which means it is run by one individual. And when we understand the big picture of the Bible and the, the picture of governments that the Bible preaches and teaches and demonstrates, we realize that executive government is the only biblically acceptable form of government and the only biblical way to govern your church. Because it keeps in line with the biblical precedent that authority flows down from God the Father to the Lord Jesus Christ to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost empowers the gifts that Jesus has given to the church, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And that authority is then distributed through church leaders to bishops, to elders, to deacons, and to helps ministry. And then congregation. Congregational form of government is completely upside down because it is the congregation telling the pastor what he can and can't do. Presbyterian form of government, jumps in the middle and you have a handful of folks telling the, the, uh, the pastor what he's going to do and the bishop is in the middle as well it's a handful of bishops telling the local pastor what he's going to do. The problem with that is bishops, elders and congregations are not fivefold ministry gifts. They're much lower on the food chain if you'll, if you'll pardon that expression. Therefore they don't have a right, it'd be like little fish telling a shark what he's going to do it'd be like a worm telling a bird what the bird was going to do it's just, not, it's just not how the food chain works. So saying all that, we have come to the understanding that the executive form of government is the only biblical form, and that has brought us to our teaching on the pastor. And so the last lesson, lesson four, was on the office of pastor. Now we're into lesson five. Lesson four was a general understanding of the office of pastor. Lesson five now, we look in depth on the, what is the pastor, and specifically Old Testament pastor. So let's jump into our curriculum here. We have proven that the proper form of government in the kingdom of God is that of executive leadership. An executive, one person. We have also seen that the executive or leader of any flock is called a pastor. So even though apostles are executives, prophets can be executives, we are only going to focus on the role of the pastor because the executive over a local church, which is where the entire body of Christ lives... The executive over the local church is the pastor. That's why we're going to emphasize this. We could do a whole series of lessons on apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. We're going to focus on pastors. A pastor is the most widely accepted and the most visible leadership position in the body of Christ. Yet despite the seemingly commonality of pastors in the land and the overabundance of biblical references to pastors, the modern church, including some pastors themselves, have a have demonstrated a genuine lack of understanding for what a pastor or a biblical pastor is and does this lesson is designed to give us a greater understanding of a pastor's role and authority in leading god's people so our overall subject is governments our common theme and thread is authority and now we're selling upon the local executive but to understand the new testament executive the pastor in the local church we have to find the foundation in the old testament this lesson is going to give us an understanding of what the pastor's role is and what he's to do. That way you understand what you can and can't expect out of him, what you should be looking for. And if you get something you weren't looking for, you can judge it. Was it is it biblical? He said this to me. Is he supposed to do that? He said that to me. He, you know, he never says this to me. Is he supposed to be saying that to me or is that my job to say that to me? If we understand what the Bible says about a pastor, we can know what to expect out of them. When you know what the police do, you call 911 and you expect them to show up. If your house is on fire and you know what firefighters do, you can call 911 and you can expect the firefighters to show up. But if you don't know what a pastor is supposed to do, if you dial spiritual 911, he may or may not show up and you may or may not get offended. So we need to know what a pastor's job is. The office and job of a pastor is not just limited to the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament says very little about the office and responsibilities of the pastor. In fact, only 18 verses directly refer to pastors or shepherds in the New Testament. The book of Jeremiah alone talks about pastors more than that in the Old Testament. To fully understand the role of the pastor, we must begin in the Old Testament and study our way forward. It would appear that the New Testament says less than might be expected about the ever-important office of pastor because it, the pastoral office is the oldest and most established leader given to God's people. As with worship and tithing, the New Testament says very little about pastors because these subjects have already been thoroughly established in the Word before the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. When you stop and you think about it, the New Testament is somewhat quiet on worship. Now, there are references there, but not like like we put emphasis on it in church. The New Testament is somewhat quiet on tithing and offerings. Now, there's a lot of references, but not like you'd expect. And the New Testament is somewhat quiet about pastors. We know apostle this, apostle that, apostle, 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 but somewhat quiet on the role of a pastor. And the reason for that is it's already been thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly established under the Old Testament. Not just the Old Covenant, because pastors predate the Old Covenant, but the Old Testament. And if something's already been established in the Old Testament, there's no reason to come along into the New Testament and reiterate it. Because we build upon the foundation of the Old Testament. So why would we spend time reiterating? We're to study the whole Scriptures. In fact, even in the New Testament, when Paul would say, uh, Because thou hast known through the Scriptures, the, the Scriptures have made you wise. He told Timothy, Through the Scriptures you've been made wise unto salvation. What Scriptures? Old Testament. Timothy didn't have a New Testament. Paul had just written one chapter of the New Testament when he said that to Timothy. Paul, near the end of his life, said, bring me the parchments in the books. What parchments? Old Testament. When the Bible talks, when the New Testament talks about scriptures, it's talking about the Old Testament because they hadn't written the New Testament yet. When Jesus said, give me the scriptures, he was talking Old Testament. And so we have not done away with the Old Testament. We have built upon it. In fact, I'll always like to quote out the biblical statistics. The New Testament directly quotes the Old Testament 695 times and references the Old Testament over 4,000 times. That does not sound like the Old Testament has been done away with. The sacrifices have been fulfilled. The prophecies have been fulfilled, but it has not been done away with. Amen. So let us look at the Old Testament pastors. This will give us a great understanding about what we can expect out of New Testament pastors. Just like Old Testament prophets give us a good understanding how New Testament prophets work, we can do the same with Old Testament pastors. Now, there are changes when you come through the cross of Calvary and the church is born, but we'll explain those in the next lesson, Lesson 6. But let's look at Old Testament pastors. And it turns out there's 11 things that I teach we can learn from the Old Testament pastor. And uh, we'll, we'll cover those. The first Old Testament pastor was Moses. He was the first pastor, specifically called a pastor, given to God's people. Isaiah, we're going to look at some verses that back up this statement. Isaiah 63, verses 11 and 12a says, Then, speaking of God, then he remembered the days of old. Moses and his people, saying, Where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Who was the shepherd? Moses. Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm? So you see a lot of allegory there to a shepherd and a sheep. Moses is referred to by Isaiah the prophet here as a shepherd with the Holy Spirit leading a flock. Psalm seventy-eight 52. We're not going to go into too much detail. We just want to prove to you that Moses was a pastor. He's very often... He, I don't know if I've ever heard it taught that he was a pastor, but very much we can see he was. He's referred to as a prophet, and, and he's just usually just called Moses. But we see here that God considered him a, a pastor. Psalm 78, 52. But made his own people to go forth like sheep, talking about Israel, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock who did he guide him through? Moses. So there's another reference to Moses being a pastor. Exodus 2.19. I like this verse because it is somewhat prophetic. This is halfway through Moses' life. Excuse me. Uh, at his 40th, age, his 40th year, he's running away from Egypt because he just killed the Egyptian. And he shows up in Midia. And he delivers the, the woman who would soon be his wife from the hands of these kind of bully shepherds, and he runs them off, and he gives them water, and so Jethro said, the dad, how did you guys get done so early? And his, Zipporah, his daughter, says, an Egyptian, speaking of Moses, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds, bully shepherds. Zipporah and her sisters were shepherds, too. They were caring for Jethro's sheep. He all, all he had to see, apparently, was girls, so they had to be shepherds. And Moses comes and helps them. And the neat thing is there's no dialogue in the Bible recorded between them. I believe it's because Moses did not speak Midian. And they did not speak Egyptian. And so it's just like you go into a foreign country. You're just kind of communicating with grunts and points. And But he knows what's going on. Being, these women are being bullied by these mean shepherds. He being an Egyptian, probably skilled at fighting and battle because he was trained up in all the knowledge and wisdom of Egypt. He probably whipped them, ran them off. And then the Bible lets us know he drew water out for them. So this is Zipporah's testimony to her father. An Egyptian delivered us from the hands of the shepherd and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. So he watered the women first and then he gave it to the flock. I think that is prophetic because 40 years later it would be said, a shepherd delivered us from the hands of the Egyptians. Here it's an Egyptian delivering us from the hands of shepherds But 40 years later, Moses will have finished being a natural shepherd. He will go into Egypt and deliver a shepherd. An 80-year-old shepherd will deliver a nation from the hands of the Egyptians. This verse is prophetic of Moses' real call to be a shepherd who delivered the people from the Egyptians and to draw out the living waters for the people and their livestock. Here you see what he's made to do. Deliver and draw water. Deliver and draw water. He led Israel through the desert for 40 years and helped them fight a few battles, and he gave them the law. There are four things we can learn from Moses' pastorship. Number one, pastors have the Holy Spirit upon them to be a pastor. I've got that underlined there in the first part. Number two, pastors lead God's people. Number three, pastors help deliver God's people. And number four, pastors water and refresh God's people. Right there, just from Moses, four job descriptions of a pastor under the Old Testament. Already you can see that's kind of what a New Testament pastor does. A New Testament pastor has the Holy Spirit. He leads God's people. He helps deliver God's people. And he waters and refreshes God's people. That brings us to our second pastor in Israel's history, Joshua. Here's some verses here. We're just going to look at these verses to prove that Joshua was a pastor. Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17. This is when Moses has realized he's not going to get to go into the promised land, but he's concerned that Israel will fail without a leader. Moses, who's led Israel for almost 40 years at this point, he knows he's not going to be able to finish the job he started, and he's concerned that without a leader, without a shepherd, the people will perish. Moses was a very wise man. So he says this, Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of, all, of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Now, that right there lets us know something. Good enough for Moses... If you run a million-person nation or a three million, whatever the number is, three million Israelites, if they must be led by a man, and without a man they are sheep with no shepherd, then that's the same for local churches today. It's very popular in some circles not to have a pastor. They have a presbytery, just a board of elders that as a conglomerate, as a confederate, they rule their church. They're totally missing out on what the Scriptures say. Moses spoke to God and said, Father... The Lord of the spirits of all flesh, you take a man, set him over the congregation so the people be not as sheep with no shepherd. And it must have been a pretty good idea to God because He did so. It wasn't like the Lord said, Moses, I appreciate your heart, but that's not my wisdom. I believe it was the Lord prompting Moses to ask the Lord for it through intercession. And that's what the Lord wanted to do. And so they set Joshua up. Uh, Joshua 1, 9 and 10 Joshua said, "Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage; be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed: for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest." Now that's the Lord speaking to Joshua. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, "After Numbers 27, they take Joshua, they lay hands on him, the priests anoint him in the sight of the whole congregation, and it's a basically a service where the baton is passed to the next pastor the next generation of leadership and it's done in front of everybody so there's no confusion as to who the leaders to be and the priests anoint it to to let the people know the priests support this and so joshua is now in command joshua chapter 1 starts off by saying now moses the servant of god is dead so it's all joshua now and the lord has to encourage joshua and say have not i commanded thee be strong and of good courage Notice the congregation is not talking to Joshua. God is. And God is saying, I commanded you. The deacon board didn't. The congregation didn't. The elder board didn't. God told his leader, I commanded you. Now get up and do this thing. And apparently it put a lot of faith and confidence in Joshua because then he stood up and it says he commanded the officers of the congregation. Joshua was Israel's second pastor. His basic role was the same as Moses's: go out before them, come in before them, and lead them. However, his pastorate faced different obstacles. Joshua was a militant pastor and led Israel into battle city after city until Israel had settled their promised land. There are three things we can learn from Joshua's pastorate. Now, we showed you that Numbers 27 proves that he was a pastor. He was set over the congregation so they wouldn't be a flock without a shepherd. First thing we can learn from Joshua is that pastors are set over the congregation. That's probably one of the best things. Pastors are set over the congregation. They're not set under the congregation. They're not set under a deacon board. They're not set under a presbytery. They're set over the congregation. Second thing we can learn from Joshua's pastorate is that pastors go out before and they come in before the people. And in that regard, they lead. They lead by example. They lead out. They say, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do that. They're not just a pulpiteer. There's a lot more to pastoring than just standing in the pulpit. But they they get their hands dirty. They roll their sleeves up. They rub uh, rub among the sheep. One of my favorite expressions is that pastors should smell like their sheep. I don't trust a pastor who's secluded from his sheep. Something's weird about it. Something's not right when all you do is come down from your glory mansion on Sunday morning with an entourage of security, you preach your 45-minute canned message, you're ushered out the back door under security, and you go back up in your Bentley to your glory mansion. That's not a pastor. That's a hireling. That's not right. If the problem is your church has gotten too big, cut the thing in half, start another work. Amen. My cousin Phil has pastored in megachurch after megachurch as a youth pastor. Uh, one church was 10,000. The next church he went to was 38,000. Now he's at a church at a, at a measly 3,000. And he's told me his youth groups have always been larger than even the mega churches. His new youth group is, is only 400 people, a youth group of 400 kids. And he's always told me, he said, Chris, I can't believe these mega churches are the will of God. I just cannot believe this is what God wants because you can't pastor people. You can't pastor people when it's a city. He, can't. he said, I just cannot believe this is the will of God. But it's taught him a lot. He's done this for 20 years now. He's 40 now. Third thing we can learn from Joshua's pastorate about what a pastor's job description is. Pastors command the congregational officers. We see that from Joshua 1, 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. The officers didn't tell him what to do. He turned around and commanded them. They're there to serve Him. Yeah, they're officers. They're over the people, but they're under Joshua. Officers submit to admirals. Officers submit to generals. But officers are still over grunts. And that's what we can see. This man is an executive. Somebody's got to be in charge. Here it's Joshua. And everybody else better get in line. That brings us to the next set of pastors called the judges. Now, I can guarantee you, I have never heard it taught that the judges were pastors, but that's very much what the Lord said twice throughout Samuel and Kings. And we'll prove it here. These are pastors that ran from Othniel, the first judge. He took over after Joshua to Samuel, the last judge, also a prophet. And he was the last national leader before Saul was anointed king. And Samuel transitioned leadership from judging Leadership, or the leadership of the judges to the kingly or the kingdom leadership. After the death of Joshua, God led His people through judges. And that word judge in the Hebrew just means to govern or to be a lawgiver. This season lasted over 200 years. This season of pastors is more defined by military leadership than preaching. However, each judge brought Israel back to God. And so one of the things we're already starting to see is there's all these national leaders that are called pastors, but each of their pastorates a little bit different. Moses had one kind of pastorate. Joshua had another kind of pastorate. The judges had another kind of pastorate. Moses led them in the wilderness. Joshua led them into the promised land. Now these men and women are being raised up to kind of help police the land and kind of establish Israel as a nation for 200 years. But all of them are national leaders. Who bring the people back to God and also feed the people? And so our first verse we'll look at here, first Chronicles seventeen, verse six. This verse is in reference to when King David wanted to build Israel uh, a temple for God, and he really had a heart to do it. He was uh, David was upset that he lived in such a nice house, and God still had a, t- a tent on Mount Zion, the stronghold of Jabus. And he said, God, how come I live in a fancy house and you don't? I want to build you something fancy, Lord. And God said this, Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedars? He's basically saying, have I ever been concerned about living in a nice house? God's never been concerned about it. Sometimes Americans lust after a bigger, fancier mansion. But God said, I was never been concerned about it. But what I want you to see is, He said, have it Wherever I've gone with Israel for the last uh, uh, 400 years, did I ever speak a word to any of the judges, Othniel to Samuel, did I ever speak to any of them whom I commanded to feed? That word feed there is the Hebrew word to pastor. So that lets you know right there, every judge from Othniel, Samson, Deborah, Barak, every one of those, Gideon, God commanded them to pastor slash feed his flock. That lets us know the judges were also pastors. That verse, that verse is quoted again, I believe, in Samuel. It's quoted in Chronicles, so you can find it twice. That proves that the judges were pastors. Look at Judges 3, 9 through 11. So having established the fact that the judges were in fact pastors, let's see what we can learn from their pastorate. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. To the children of Israel. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he judged Israel and went out to war. Same Moses did that, so did Joshua. And the land had rest 40 years. So those are some job descriptions we can see in an Old Testament pastor in the season of the judges. Israel's judges were also considered pastors, from Deborah to Gideon to Samson. To Samuel, they all governed and led God's flock, guiding them back to that great shepherd. These shepherds brought deliverance from tyrannical oppression and rest to God's people. The judges were always delivering Israel from whoever they hadn't killed off yet. Always getting them the victory over their enemy. That's, we, can, we can even see how that applies to the New Testament. New Testament pastors help God's people to get the victory over that enemy they haven't dealt with yet. Whether it's lust or unforgiveness, whether it's maybe a hunger appetite or a greed appetite or whatever it may be, insecurity. We don't literally go kill anybody for you, but we can help you get the victory over that enemy, whatever it may be. In this dispensation, it's always spiritual. We don't draw the sword to cut off a head. We draw the spiritual sword of the spirit to cut the head off our spiritual problems. It's all allegorical. We understand that. They delivered the people from the mouth of their enemies and produced rest for the people. Their pastorate was a little different from Moses' and Joshua's. There are four things we can learn from the judge's pastorate. Perhaps we should say pastorates. First thing, pastors are commanded to feed God's people. We see that from 1 Chronicles 17, 6. That's the bulk of what I'll do in the pulpit is feed you. But what you must understand as a sheep is that though I feed you, it does not mean you will eat. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can literally, in a, on a farm, you can slop the, the, the pig trough, but you can't make the pig eat it. And I can preach service after service, but that doesn't mean people are acting on it. As I like to point out, Jesus Christ taught all of Israel, all of Judea, all of Galilee for three and a half years. And one of His most common expressions was, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So after three and a half years of preaching, literally to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, he was a nonstop teaching and preaching machine. At the end of his ministry, he ascended and he retained 120 people. The great shepherd, Jesus Christ, was a preaching machine for three and a half years. He had all the fullness of the Spirit, unhindered, preached everywhere he went, sometimes all night, would try to go pray, they'd find him, he'd preach and heal their sick. And after three and a half years wearing out Roman soldiers, wearing out Pharisees, wearing out Sadducees, casting out devils, healing the sick, even John said, if the books of this world could write down what he did, there would not be room enough. The books of this world surely could not contain it. His retainage, the Son of God's retainage in his ministry, was a measly 120. He demonstrated just because you feed the people doesn't mean they'll actually eat it. Amen. God's shepherds are commanded to feed His people, but it doesn't mean they'll ever actually eat it or get anything out of it. The second thing we can learn from the judges are pastors judge or govern God's people. In biblical times, a judge isn't like a judge we think of on the the judge's bench at the courthouse. This judge was a governor. He was a lawgiver. He, we might call him a mayor. We might call him a superintendent. A city, maybe like a president kind of figure. A kind of a pseudo king. And in that regard, he leads the people, governs the people, and to some degree will judge between rights and wrongs. Two people come to them with an issue and he'll judge who's at fault and set it straight. And he was also feeding the people. Reminding them of what the word of God had to say because they had been given the law at this point. The other thing we can see about pastors from the judges is that pastors lead God's people in battle and in the wars of life. That's what we do. That's the greatest thing that defined the judges is they were raised up as a deliverer against the Midianites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, whoever, the Moabites. And they would deliver God's people from those evil oppressors. And that would usually last just for one or two battles. And then they would just kind of maintain for 40 years. The fourth thing we see is that God's pastors provide rest for God's people. When a pastor, when a judge did the thing right, when a New Testament pastor will do his thing right, there'll be rest for God's people. Just just jump to the New Testament real quick. When a pastor does his job right in the local church, he will make sure there's always peace. He will not let insurrection break out. He'll not let strife break out. He'll not let a quarrel between two ladies break out. He won't let the dirt bag come in and stir up his sheep. He's always looking to pacify and bring peace to his sheep. Because when the sheep are at peace, they're healthy sheep. Uh, even in the natural allegory, nervous sheep do not eat. When a weirdo comes into the flock on a, on a hillside in Israel, uh, something weird moves among them, the sheep get nervous. And they, they won't eat. They'll get a runny stomach. So it is in the spirit realm when the, when the flock isn't at peace, when there's strife and turmoil and consternation and, and disagreement and And just a bunch of junk going on, the pastor's job is to smite that source of strife and consternation, and allow there to be peace. That's why we always deal with attitude around here, and that's why I I honestly enjoy it when a weirdo comes in, a wolf in their heart. I enjoy taking the first twenty minutes of the service to nail them and run them out. Everybody starts thinking who's in, who's on the back row, who's pastor hitting. But when the psalmist said in Psalm 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy staff has the hook on the end to grab the little sheep and keep them from wandering away. The rod is what is used in shepherds to beat wolves. And the fact that the shepherd had a rod, that brought great comfort to the sheep knowing if anybody gets out of line, if any wolf comes in here, my shepherd will get between me and that wolf and thump him hard. And that wolf will go off yelping and yet, yeah, it's a little abrasive sometimes. Yeah, in, in the church context, it sometimes comes across as rude. But when you just realize, I'm not thumping you, I'm thumping that woman that just walked in and decides she said in her heart loud enough for me to hear it, she wants to steal some of my sheep. It's time to put the, the shepherd's staff away and pull out my thumper and get to thumping. And just to be honest, there are times when I think I can pick up on it during praise and worship or if I meet them before service. During worship, I'll say, I wonder if I can do it in 15 minutes tonight. I wonder if I could get them out of here in a record 10 minutes. I wonder if I'm that good, if God could help me through the word of knowledge to find out where their sin is and stomp on that thing so hard and get them out of here. I'm disappointed. The last one I ran off, it took me 30 minutes. I was going for 15 or 20. In fact, I was for sure it's 15 and 20. I went back and listened to it, and it was a full 30 minutes before I got them out of the service. I was bummed. I thought, man, I thought I was a better preacher than that. I thought I could hit a wolf harder than that. And they've never been back. And that's the point. Paul said in Acts 20, When I depart, grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock. If wolves don't spare the flock, then the shepherd should not spare the wolf. So we don't. I wish more pastors would be pastors. Mm -hmm. Pastors provide rest for God's people. That brings us to King David. David... Though we know King Saul was a, a, a pastor, I do not have a verse that specifically declares him to be so. But if every national leader so far, there are over 12 judges, I believe, mentioned the book of Judges. So you've got Moses, Joshua, 10, 12 or so, maybe 15 judges. It would only stand to reason that Saul is a, is a, is a pastor as well. Excuse me. Uh, Moses a pastor, Joshua a pastor, the 12 judges or 15 judges as pastors, it would stand a reason Saul was a pastor as well. But I do not have a verse that declares that I've found yet, either in the Hebrew or the English, that he was. So I just skip over him. David is specifically called a pastor. We'll jump to David and we'll see some things about David as a pastor, though he's called a king. We also know though David was a prophet. He also operated as a priest. He, kinda, he was a type and shadow of Jesus. He did it all. David and the kings... David was Israel's greatest king and pastor. He was a type of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Here in Psalm 78, 70-72, it says that the Lord chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes great with young. He brought him to feed, that's the Hebrew word, to shepherd. He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed to pastor He fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided, that's the word to govern or lead, and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Remember that the definition for pastor or shepherd in the Hebrew includes to guard, to rule, and to govern. That is the definition of shepherding in the Hebrew. To guard, to rule, and to govern. We covered that in the previous lesson. This is also part of the job description of a king. David is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is now both our king and our chief shepherd. These these two verses, three verses here, further reiterate to us that a pastor feeds and guides God's people. We might could add two more things there. That a pastor has to have integrity of heart. That's what it says there. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart. You don't want to follow somebody with uh, poor integrity because it'll get in you. And we could also add that a pastor should have skillful hands because he would guide them by the skillfulness. You don't want a novice. Even Paul told Timothy to ordain bishops, don't promote a novice. You want someone that's skilled. And everybody's always getting more skilled, but you want a pastor that's very skilled. And so we could learn two things that maybe I didn't write down here in that a pastor should have integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. You don't want to follow a ding-dong or a goofball. There, honestly, as you travel, there are some folks you'll meet and, and you'll, even, a, even a minister will say, it. what in the world are they doing in ministry? What, what in the world are they even doing? I was talking with a friend of mine about a, a pastor, and he said, uh, I said, what's going on with this guy? He said, don't get me wrong. He said, he's got a great heart. He loves God with all of his heart, but he has no business pastoring. But he's running a church of, I don't know, maybe a thousand. But he just, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't have integrity of heart, he has no skillfulness of hands. And to have successful shepherding and a successful flock, you have to have integrity first and skillfulness as well. That brings us to Jeremiah, the last minister in the Bible, specifically called a pastor. I've got to personally believe every prophet to Israel was also a pastor because they would feed the people. But only Jeremiah specifically mentioned himself as a pastor. So we're going to look at him. And remember, we're building the case. We're building the job description of an Old Testament pastor because this is the, the that of pastors the oldest, most established leadership office in the whole Bible. And if it was ordained and established and thoroughly worked out in the Old Testament, we can come over to the New Testament and kind of to some degree, with a 70-80% accuracy, without even looking at the New Testament Scriptures, we can know what to expect out of a New Testament pastor because we have seen it personified and demonstrated under the Old Covenant. So Jeremiah here, he is known as the wailing prophet and the last prophet before Israel's 70 years of captivity. But by his own testimony, he was also a pastor. Jeremiah 17, 6, and I give it to you here in two different translations. King James says, As for me, Jeremiah speaking, I have not hastened from being a pastor to follow thee. I believe it's the NIV he said, I have not hurried away from being a pastor who follows you. Jeremiah teaches us that a pastor must follow the Lord, not the people. If a pastor has to wake up and worry about what the people think, he is not going to be a good pastor. I can honestly tell you, as a pastor over this church, I never, ever think about what you will think about. Now, I'm very mindful of your needs, and we plan things so that we we are mindful... We don't want to have another guest minister in because it taxes us financially. We're mindful of that. We're mindful of the holidays. We're mindful. I've, I've told, even with uh, our recent guest minister, I said, I cannot give you a, a whole Sunday. I said, I've already got a guest minister. It will exhaust my people. And then even uh, another local pastor asked us to come and do a Monday, Tuesday revival for them and bring the worship team. But we had just had a bunch of services. We'd had corporate prayer. We'd had two Sunday services. And he called me, I think, Thursday morning or Friday morning, said, can you come Monday? And I said, sir, I would love to, but I I can't do that to our people. And so I'm very mindful of what you think, and I'm very mindful of your life, and and I want to push you, but I don't want to kill you. But I can tell you, for me personally, I don't care what you think. I wake up saying, Lord, what, what do you think? Lord, what do you want? Lord, what are you saying for the people? And then let Him sort it out with you. That's the best way to do it. If, if I have to get up and say, Lord, I've got to follow the people, what will make the people happy? Lord, if I teach that, I might offend two of them. Me personally, I say, if I teach that, I'll offend two of them. But if I say it this way, I can offend five of them. That's honestly how I think sometimes. See what they're made out of. <laughs> Jeremiah teaches us that a pastor must follow the Lord, not people. Following the Lord permits a pastor to effectively lead the people. Jeremiah, through his preaching, endeavored to guide Israel back into the will of God. However, they would not listen to him. Just like we said previously, you can lead sheep to water, but you can't make them drink. Had Jeremiah listened to the people in his day, he would have sinned against the Lord. There is one critical thing we can learn about a pastor from Jeremiah's pastorate. Pastors must always follow God. A pastor can only lead God's people as far as he is willing to follow God. They can only lead God's people as far as they are willing to follow God. The more I follow God, the more I can lead you. The less I follow God, the less I can lead you. So right there, there are 12. We might add two more, make it 14 things to an Old Testament job description from those verses. Below is the job description for an Old Testament pastor based on the previous verses and examples. We'll run through them to summary. An Old Testament pastor had the Holy Spirit. Sounds like New Testament. Number two, an Old Testament peop- a pastor led God's people through difficult times. Tomorrow I go do a funeral. I get to lead some church family through a difficult time. Sounds New Testament. An Old Testament pastor, point three, delivered God's people from their enemies. We certainly help you to do that. We don't always do all of the work for you, but we give you the skills and the tools to do it. Sounds New Testament. Number four, Old Testament pastors refresh God's people with pure water. Ephesians 5 says that we give you the washing of the water of the word. When a message is preached pure enough, it'll knock sin off you you don't even realize you had. Sounds like a New Testament pastor. Number five, An Old Testament pastor was set over the congregation. Why would a New Testament pastor be under the congregation? To obey your beck and call. Technically, we do obey your beck and call. Pastor, can you come pray for me? Pastor, my aunt just died. Can you do the funeral? Pastor, my boy's in the hospital. Can you come pray for him? Pastor, can I come meet with you? Pastor, will you answer my phone call? Pastor, can I call you? Pastor, this, Pastor... We answer to your beck and call. We just don't take your direction for the church. Point six, Old Testament pastors went out before and came in before God's people. New Testament pastors should, should lead by example as well. Point seven, Old Testament pastors commanded the officers, not vice versa. You can't give me the name of one of Joshua's officers. You can't give me the name of one of Samuel's officers. Because they didn't tell him what to do. Point number eight, an Old Testament pastor fed God's people. Very much a New Testament job description. Point number nine, an Old Testament pastor judged God's people. That meant to lead or govern. That's what we do in the local church. In the local church, the New Testament pastor is the governor. He doesn't do all the work, but he governs the work that goes on and he sets the course. Point number ten, an Old Testament pastor led God's people in battle. We do that in prayer. We say, let's gather around the altar and pray. Let's go street evangelism. You know, street evangelism's battle. That's going out and swinging the sword and beating the enemy back. Point number 11, an Old Testament pastor provided rest for God's people. That sounds New Testament. Point number 12, an Old Testament pastor followed God with all of their heart. So look at that. There's 12 points there. We would add two more from David. Integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. We could add that, make that 13 and 14. And you have 14 points that describe an Old Testament pastor. And just looking at it, just on the surface, sounds like a New Testament pastor. And now we can easily answer, how come the New Testament doesn't talk much about a pastor's job description? Well, you're to know the scriptures that can make you wise to salvation. It was already established. And so, did you know the New Testament doesn't teach us a whole lot of evangelistic techniques? Not specifically, but there's a lot of evangelism in the Old Testament. First, one of the first great missionaries was Abraham. He left Ur the Chaldees to go to the promised land, and he ended up in Egypt telling them about Jehovah. He ended up all over the place. And then Jonah. Jonah's one of the greatest Old Testament evangelists. He was reluctant, too. He studied in the school of fish. <laughs> and once he graduated, he stunk a little bit, but he finally got with the program. So here at last page, some general observations Remember that our common theme is authority and governments and how this kingdom works and operates. General observations. None of these Old Testament pastors had committees voting on the direction of their congregation. Just a general Old Testament observation. They had advisors and elders, yes, but the final decisions rested on the shoulders of the executive. Actually, when the executive would not take command, Jezebel would. When the executive would not take charge, a little weasel would. Somebody would sneak off. And thinking now of Gehazi, a subordinate to the executive, when he did his own thing and went behind the leader's back, it nearly killed him. So we don't go behind leadership's back because we think we have a better way. That makes you a Gehazi. That's not a good person to be. And even even Elisha pointed out the only reason you've done this, Gehazi, is because you don't even have my heart. Did not my heart go with you? The answer is an understood no. No, it didn't go with you. Because if you had my heart, when you went back out there, tempted you to realize this is not the heart of my master. So when folks try to run their leadership or go behind their back, they demonstrate they've never caught their master's heart. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good place to be. These men, another observation, acted as executives and governors calling the shots, not just teachers, just general observations here. They weren't just teachers. A lot of pastors in the modern church are just teachers. They don't actually call the shots. They have, a, they have to have a board to do that. I talked to one local pastor. He said, Pastor Chris, I cannot stand my denomination. He said, when I became pastor, we had to have committee meetings so I could get money approved to buy pencils for my secretary. That is the constraint of denominationalism bureaucracy. He said, I'm not kidding. We had to vote to approve money to buy pencils. And that made me smile and say, I'm so glad for my church government. Because if I want to buy a church van, I just go do it. I got to make sure we have the money. Well, what? You, that, that's, there's no responsibility there. No, no, there is. If I sin against God, I could die. That's what's in my heart. Not, I have to answer to some dirty businessman on the executive board. I could die for it. And I happen to believe the scriptures that say your sins will find you out. So we just stay really clean. God spoke directly to these men concerning his will for the people and the congregation and the tasks he wanted to accomplish. They never voted. There was never a vote in the entire Old Testament. When these men listened to the people, they generally failed God and got into serious trouble. Moses listened to the people. He struck the rock twice. Disqualified. Joshua listened to the people. He sent up a weak battalion to Ai. People died. Saul listened to the people. He did not slaughter any of the sheep, or all of the sheep, or the enemies. He was disqualified. So let's just kind of, in the worst case scenario, think about what happens when you listen to the people and you let them have a vote. Disqualification, people die, disqualification. Doesn't sound like it's wise to listen to the people that should be following you. Just an observation. If you didn't need a pastor in Moses' day, you died a slave in Egypt. If you didn't need a pastor in Joshua's day, you died having never received the promised land. If you didn't need a pastor during the times of the judges, you stayed in slavery and oppression to your enemies. If you didn't need a pastor in David's day, you failed to enjoy the greatest time of Israel's history. And if you didn't need a, uh, a pastor in Jeremiah's day, you went into Babylonian, Assyrian, or Egyptian captivity. Maybe you got to pick. Mm, I want to be a slave in Assyria. I hear the climate's nicer up there. Ooh, I've always wondered what Egypt would be like. If you didn't need a pastor in those days, man, you just failed and miss God. So to conclude, God ordained pastors to care for His people from the beginning. This office of executive leadership and wisdom was thoroughly established in the Old Testament and continues into the church age. Amen, amen, and amen.